breathe your life right there. Uh, I like that song they sung before that. Something's got a hold of me. Uh, man, that happened in 1980. I, I can't, I still to this day can't get over that thing. Uh, I didn't ask for anything. I really, I just seen the world. I got a logical kind of a mind. Working with electronics, you have to have that. It, it, don't tell me you push an I believe button. I just don't believe that. Uh, I believe that you can know some things, and, and uh, if I can know how to fix something and understand how I fixed it and know why I replaced it instead of that, then I know some things. And, and I went to the Lord the exact same way. I really wasn't hurting. I didn't have a loss of money. I had all kinds of money. I had all kinds of cars. I had everything I wanted really in my life except him, and I didn't know I was missing him. I just knew there was something missing. I didn't know what it was. I've, I've been in the places where I shouldn't be, and I had the trouble that I shouldn't have had, but... I knew that those things were all wrong. I just didn't know what he was. And when I started seeking him, what, what the blessing thing was is that he was always there ready to start talking to me. And as soon as I started seeking, he started talking. And the more he talked, it made common sense. It just made sense. And I, to me, Christianity only makes sense. Uh, everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to go to one place or another. And at the end of this thing, there's something, something out there. It only makes sense that it's him. I mean, that's all. There's nothing else. I can't figure nothing else out. Uh, beyond that black wall called death, there, there can't be anything but him. Uh, somebody has to be there who did this. Somebody has to play. I said, it only makes sense. I mean, why would, why, this stuff just can't happen. And uh, the more I started thinking about that thing, the more I started realizing, I said, it's all about him, really. And he started flipping light switches on, and all of a sudden, I'm like, that's it, man. That's what I need right there. I said, Lord, that's what I need. And when I got that thing, something got a hold of me, and it just never let go. And it took me three weeks to realize that what, it, what had me. And once I did, I'm like, this is what I want. This is what I've been seeking my whole life right here. This is it. And I think people, I, I hate to see people who never get that. Because what they do is they spend a whole life chasing after dreams. And really the whole, only thing you need is Jesus Christ. He can supply all your needs. He can supply all your wants. He can give everything you want. Joy, happiness, peace. Uh, he can give, give you down inside that soul, so far down there where you need the peace at, at night when you're all bad. I was talking to a brother this morning, and I'm telling you, just the peace that God gives you. I know what loneliness is. I know what sadness is. I know what hurt is. I know what pain is. I've been there, done that. I've been around people that's been in a lot worse places than I've ever been in. And I've watched them experience the stuff and come out of it, too. I'm like, it's just amazing. It's amazing what he can do when he fills that void down here. And the rest of it comes out. I just, I, it just, something got a hold of me, brother. And I was like, man, yeah. <laughs> Don't let go, brother, I'll let you have it. And I'll sit down. All right, well, while I get hooked up, why don't you guys open to Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter number one tonight. <clears throat> Some of you in here that come to Thursday night Bible class, you're like, well, we can go ahead and snooze now because we've already heard this. Maybe a little, but have some thoughts tonight. <clears throat> Hopefully they come out better than what they're in my brain right now. But some things I've been thinking about, the Lord's been dealing with me about personally. <clears throat> And I hope that uh, it'd be a blessing and a help tonight for those that have come out to obviously get something from the Lord and not hear me blab my mouth for 45 minutes. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter number one. Let's pick it up in verse number 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. But I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, 
but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals, and mine own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Brother Adam, would you pray for the message tonight, brother? appreciate it. Amen. You may be seated. Paul, in the book of Galatians, if you're not familiar with it, it's a quite a stern book. The attitude of the book is one of great intensity. He is, uh, he is actually defending his apostleship in the beginning of this book because there's people that have come in unawares, that have sought out the liberty that is in the church of Galatia and has tried to preach that now they have to be circumcised or, or, or uphold some form of the law in order to be saved. And of course, Paul is, is uh, vehement uh, disputing this this thought and this notion. And and you know that by what he says uh, previously in the chapter where he talks about, though I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. And if you're sure what the updated vernacular for that is, he says, let them go to hell if they're going to preach anything other than what I've preached to you. And he's defending his gospel when he says here in verse number 11 that I didn't get this gospel because of any man and I didn't get this gospel because I was taught it by somebody, you know. I was given this gospel by the direct revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul is, is, is talking here, he, he's constantly, and what he's accustomed to do a lot of times is he goes back to the beginning of his testimony and he has to defend himself from the standpoint of I'm not here because of anything that I did, but because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And that's where he goes back to. He understands that this part of the Christian life that he's in is that, it does, that he couldn't put himself there. God had to get him there. And we know that in Christianity, listen, in order for you to start your Christian life, you can't start it without Jesus Christ initiating something with you. We know that back in uh, Acts chapter number 9, uh, Paul is, is, uh, is breathing out threatenings. And, and, he is, and he's breathing out slaughterings to the church. And he's persecuting. He has gone to the king and, and asked for letters that he can go, uh, you know, and, 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 and go house to house and start persecuting people. You know that back in Acts chapter number 7 at the stoning of Stephen, that uh, he's sitting there and folks are laying their coats down at Saul's feet as they're killing Stephen. In a murderous rage, he stands there and cheers them on with glee. And then in Acts chapter number 8, the Bible says that there's a great persecution going on. And it's all spearheaded by this man named Saul. And he's making... Widows out of wives and he's making children fatherless and he's locking people up in jail. And he is wreaking havoc on the church. But then in gloriously in Acts chapter number 9 as he's accustomed to do just walking down and I'm sure in, the, in his mind's eye just trying to fulfill the things that are so burning in his heart. Because he thinks that he's, that he's uh, zealous towards God. 
He doesn't think he's, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. He thinks he's doing God's service. And what is he doing? He's going to persecute the church. And all of a sudden, he gets struck down on the road to Damascus. And the Lord interjects in Saul's life. And it's a great testimony. Because this man who is so passionate about persecuting the church, was so passionate about anybody who named the name of Jesus Christ as a, as a means of salvation, would by no means hesitate to lock them up or see that they're dead. He has a conversion. And the light shines down and he is struck blind. And, uh, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ comes down and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he's like, what in the world is going on here? And it's a great testimony because it shows us that, listen, the initiator of our, of our salvation, it doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't, listen, I, I've talked with people on the street, and I'm sure everyone in here, if you've had a conversation uh, with anybody in any uh, shape or form, at some point in time as you witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll hear undoubtedly someone say, well, you just don't know what I've done. You just don't know what's in my past. And Paul's saying, um, I'm sorry, did you kill any of God's people? Paul's saying, hey, excuse me, uh, did, you, did you think that, uh, did you understand what I used to be? I was more zealous in the Jews' religion than any of my peers. I surpassed them. He was a household name amongst Christians. Everybody knew who Saul was in a negative sense. And you know what God did? God came and changed his heart. God saved his soul. God changed his life. In a glorious fashion to where no one could dispute that that was God. I don't know about you, but I've seen some people before in my life, in my family, folks that I'm associated with in some way, shape, or form in life. And you think to yourself, that person ain't never going to get saved. That person is too far gone. That person mocks the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that person, that person uh, uh, cusses and chews out Christians for even mentioning his name. Can I tell you? God can still save them. God's not intimidated by them. You think that scares the Lord? You think that, you think, Jesus like, oh, he said my name in a cuss word. Oh. You think that shakes him at all? No, it doesn't. It doesn't shake him one little bit. Because he saved folks like, Paul, you say, well, is that more glorious than someone getting saved at the age of five or six years old? No, it's not. You want to know why? Because the destination for both is the same. (laughs) The problem or the situation that Paul was in or Saul was in at the time was no different than than, uh, the the seven, eight, nine-year-old child, the 13-year-old boy or whatever you may be and uh, on your way to hell. The destination's the same. It's just the amount of garbage that you did in in the beginning of it. It doesn't matter. You know, the initiator of our salvation, he talks about, he says, it pleased God to reveal his son in him. Amen. You know what? It makes the Lord happy when he, uh, he can reveal Jesus Christ to a lost sinner and they realize, you know, I'm on my way to hell. <laughs> and this whole thing in life, I thought I had nailed down and everything I was doing, I had my little groove and you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ disrupted me. And I'm sure glad he disrupted me. Yeah. I'm sure glad that he found some stinking little farmer boy with no sense in his head. And through the death of his father, came and knocked on my door and said, Hey, uh, you, you, uh, you still afraid to die? I said, Yeah, more than anything. He said, What if I showed you, you know, a way that you didn't have to be so scared to die anymore? 
And a little while, a little while after that, a 13-year-old boy with tears in my eyes, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. And the Lord started to reveal His Son in me. But as we dissect the life of Paul, we see his conversion. Because the conversion or the initiation of his salvation, that, that, that's a reference to the spiritual nature of the Christian life. Because it doesn't just end there. What you saw in the passage in which we just read in Galatians chapter 1 is you know that he talks about his salvation experience, but it didn't end there. What we know about the life of Paul is he says that, listen, when I started seeing that God was starting to do some things in me, I conferred not with flesh and blood. He says, you know what he did? He went to Arabia. And you know what he got? He got a one-on-one tutoring session with the Lord Jesus Christ for a little over three years. And you know, in that time frame, God gave him some things. And God ministered to him in ways. And he started learning what the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was trying to, to show him. And he saw the error of his ways. And the light bulb starts going off in Paul's life. And he's like, oh, well, I always read that part of the New or Old Testament like this. And, and man, I can see why, you know, I was kind of wrapped up with all these different teachings. And I was just on the cusp. And I had the zeal. And I had the desire. But, man, I just didn't have the truth. And he's, God starts revealing the truth in him and, and giving him revelations. Right? And and God's got great plans for Paul. And that's what we're... Listen, our walk with Jesus Christ, sometimes I like that. You get saved and all of a sudden, you know, the Lord starts showing you stuff. And it's like, man, that's, that's wild. I never thought that way before. You know, you get to thinking about your life and, and all of a sudden the Lord starts lighting things up and you're like, why do I do that? Why do I even do that? I don't even know why I do that. That's pretty dumb. Why would I do that? You know, and then the Lord says, well, well get rid of it. You go, oh, okay, sure, no problem. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. And then he tells you to get rid of this. You're like, well, I don't know about that. I mean, that's pretty rough. I don't think I want to get rid of that just yet. And he keeps working on you and working on you and working on you and he starts revealing things to you. And it takes time. And you want to know something? A very important part of the Christian life is you learning how to get by yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him work on you. Amen? Because guess what? You can't learn how to be a Christian collectively. You have to learn how to be a Christian individually. Jesus Christ has to reveal Himself to you. He's not going to reveal Himself by means of your parents, by means of a preacher or a friend. Listen, He'll use those people, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ like Paul did here in the early stages of his life, you will never excel as a Christian. If you're constantly trying to live off the spirituality of somebody else, you're going to dry up just as quick as you can blink. You ain't going to get anything. And so we see that Paul, he had, a, he had some foundational experiences with the Lord. I like to call those the honeymoon period. <laughs> Amen? I call that the honeymoon period. I was talking to a brother the other day, and he had had some things going on, and he had some things that popped up, and he was just kind of upset about some things, and, and uh, only been saved a little while. And we started talking, and he's like, man, this is just rough. I don't know what I'm going to do now. I said, I said, how long have you been saved? He told me how long he was saved. I said, well, the honeymoon's over. <laughs> Honeymoon's over. Time to put the big boy pants on, you know. It's like you get married, you know, and then you have like the first, I don't know how, I guess it varies the length of time, you know. Before, you know, you realize that the person you're living with is actually an individual and they have thoughts and a brain and they maybe think differently than you do. Or the, the Romeo that you thought you got, you realize that he has dirty underwear and he doesn't clean up after himself and he's an absolute slob. And you're like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And all of a sudden you realize the honeymoon's over. 
You know, at first you were embarrassed. You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to make sure I clean up everything because I don't want her to think I'm a slob. And then eventually you're like, I really don't care. <laughs> Like she, yeah, she got it. She knows I'm a slob. Let's just embrace the filth, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then, and then you say stuff like, "Well, that's what you're for," <laughs> right? And then she's like, "Oh, what did you say?" And then it's very evident at that time that the honeymoon is over, and now we have to move beyond that because I thought we were in love. <laughs> and then life happens, and it's like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta move past this." we got to grow past this. So we always talk about Paul's conversion. We see the initiator of his faith. And you know what? Here in Galatians, we see Paul as the minister. We see Paul as the author. Galatians, the book written with his own hand and great vehement desire defending the revelations in the church that he set up and had a great influence on these people. And we see now Paul, he's gone from the one that is just the babe in Christ to the one who's now influencing all the people around him. And that's what everybody wants, right? Everybody wants to be the person that gets, you know, hey, brother, can I get some advice? You know, can, can you help me? Because I'm really in a bond. You want to be that guy. Everybody wants to be the one that's, that's making the rules or putting it out. You know, they want to be the boss. Well, Paul's the boss here. Paul, Paul's the guy with the revelation. Paul's the guy with all the respect. God, uh, Paul's the guy that's got all the eyeballs on him. Paul's the guy that's the one saying, hey, listen, I don't respect any man's person. Who are they? Am I pleasing men or am I pleasing God? I don't care about who are they. Yeah. And he's defending his ministry. Have they suffered what I've suffered? If they, listen, if they're so smart, how come I've suffered the loss of all things and they're just trying to take advantage of you and they're living in their little palaces? Paul's saying, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the one that has the influence now. But I want to tell you something. Before we get into the meat of this message, I think it's really, really important that no man is an island. And no man goes from just getting saved and learning the basics about the Lord Jesus Christ to being the guy calling the shots and being the influencer and having all, of the, uh, all the people looking at him and all that stuff. There's a big middle section. Amen? Because what happens is, is once you get saved and God starts showing you stuff, undoubtedly, if God's ever going to talk to you or God use you in any way, you know what He's going to do? He's going to send somebody your way. He's going to send somebody your way. I guarantee it. That's how God works. He gave some pastors and evangelists and teachers and all this different stuff. Why? For the perfecting and the edification of the saints. That's why He did that. God gives you men. God gives you people in your life to help you. You know what he does? He gives people that invest in you. He gives people that invest in you. They, have, they see something in you. You want to know something? Uh, uh, you know what the world tells you today? You have to find your purpose in life. That's what they tell you. You got to find your purpose in life. You know what they tell They don't tell you to make a living. They tell you to find your passion. Right? Well, what if, well, you know, what if your passion is something that doesn't make any money? <laughs> Well, just do it long enough, and depending on how broke you are, you realize you got to go get a real job, right? Well, so there's, the thing is, is you ever talk, see, uh, hear people talk about, well, I just, I just see some potential in them. Don't you want somebody to see something in you? Absolutely. 
You know what? God looking at Paul, you know what? God's looking down at Paul, you know what? He sees something in Paul. And he initiates his salvation. He sees something in him. And here's Paul. He's talking to the folks at Galatia. And why is he so angry? Why is he, why is he defending it so passionately? Because he sees something in them. Well, guess what? Just like God saw something in Paul and Paul sees something in other people, somebody at one point in time had to see something in Paul. Amen. Go to Acts chapter number 9. Again, I want to set the lay work and then the message will be really, really short. But we don't get where God wants us to go without some help. Acts chapter number 9, we have the conversion story of Paul. <clears throat> and you know, after Paul gets saved, he gets baptized there in verses 18 and 19, and then he starts preaching in verse 20. And when I say Paul is preaching, I'm talking like scorched earth. <laughs> I'm talking like Katie bar the door, like F5 tornado rolling down the alley, and the only thing that's left is, you know, a cat in a tree somewhere three miles away. I mean, he's, this guy is preaching, man. He, he, listen, he, he is, he's preaching off of, the, off of the, oh my goodness, I just realized that I'm in big, big trouble and I've done a lot of real, real bad things and now he's doing that overcompensation thing, you know, like when you realize you're wrong, so you initially you overcompensate way over here and then it takes some time for you to get back into the middle and realize this is where I need to be. That's the kind of preaching he's doing. He's way over here. And when he gets done, they want to kill him. <laughs> and so the brethren are like, wow, this guy's kind of nuts. And they lower him down in a basket because folks, he's trying to kill him. Could you imagine? We're talking about folks seeing something in Paul. Could you imagine being Ananias? Lord comes to Ananias and says, hey, uh, yeah, that Saul guy, I want you to go, you know, go, uh, go invest in him a little bit. He's like, I'm sorry, Lord. I've heard a lot about Saul. And uh, I don't know if you know what I know, but I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> he doesn't see anything in Paul, Saul at the time. But look with me, if you will. Paul visits Jerusalem. In verse 26, he says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. You know what that word essayed means? It means to prove through experiment. It means to prove through experiment. You know what that means? That means he goes to Jerusalem and he tries, he tries to connect with the disciples that are in Jerusalem. But nobody wants to mess with him. Because his reputation preceded him. And everyone says, I ain't getting close to you. They probably knew people that he had locked up or seen killed. The word had spread through Jerusalem because the persecution was so hard after the stoning of Stephen. There was people, the Bible tells you that they scattered. And it was because of Saul. And now he comes in and says, hey guys, can we be friends? I got saved too. And they're like, oh yeah, right, okay, yeah. Uh, see you later, have a good day. <laughs> and the Bible says that he essayed to go to the disciples. Nobody saw nothing in him. Nobody saw, Ananias didn't want to go to him, wasn't for the Lord. Ananias wouldn't have gone to him. And so the disciples say, see you later, bye. I don't want to, meet, I don't want to mess with you. Look at the next verse. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. There was somebody, there was one person 
that looked at Paul or Saul and said, there's something to him, man. There's something, there's something about that guy. I've been in this thing a little while, man, and I've, and I've seen the chaos. I mean, he was around, he was around in the beginning, you know, when, when the, then the apostles, they were kind of running around with their heads cut off there for a minute. And, I mean, he, he was really there in the thick of it at the beginning, and he's saying, there's something different about that guy's conversion, man. There's something different about that, the look in that guy's eye. The way that that guy, that way the guy talks, man, there's something about him. And Barnabas, he says, you know what, I'm going to invest in that guy. I'm going to invest in that guy. Because you want to know something? Listen, the investing part of Christianity, it's not necessarily the spiritual part, you know, your salvation, your personal. You know what it is? It alludes to the structural part of Christianity. And guess what? That is just as real as your salvation is. Because God does things decently and in order. And God, listen, if God was going to use Paul, Paul had to get credibility from somebody because he didn't have any. You live in a culture today that says burn down all of the, uh, all of the, 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 uh, the foundational parts of society. That if it's established, then we need to rebel against the establishment and go out because we need to be, you know, we need to be revolutionary. We need to, we need to uh, uh, go ahead and move past the current system in place. It's rebellion. It's rebellious. That's the culture in which you live in today. And so, if Paul was a rebel and had that spirit to him, you know what he would have done? He said, who are you, Barnabas? You think you're going to teach me something? Were you in Arabia for three years? You see that? Where were you when God was sitting next to me? Where, hey, hey, Barnabas, did God come to you on the road to Damascus? He did to me. See that? And God said, you know what God does? He throws a guy in his way. And you know what he's doing? He ain't watching what Barnabas is doing. He already knows Barnabas. He's watching Paul, Saul. And he says, I wonder what he's going to do with Barnabas. Barnabas says, hey, man, how you doing? Pretty lonely out here. Can't get nobody to sit around the cafeteria table with you, can you? <laughs> pretty, rough, pretty, rough, pretty rough upbringing, huh, man? Yeah, I've heard about it. Hey, what do you think? Uh, you want to come over for dinner tonight? I got some folks coming over. You want to come over and hang out with me? And Paul, the self-sufficient, the always got everything buttoned up, says, yeah, well, that'd be great. I appreciate it. Thanks. And he goes with Barnabas. He says, hey, I got some friends I'd like to meet you. You know those guys? Uh, and he starts, you know, you know out Cephas, you know, you ever heard of him? John? You ever heard of them? James, the Lord's brother? <sighs> yeah, I've heard about them. <laughs> Only catch a bite. And he takes them to him and he says, Hey guys, this is, uh, this is Saul. And you can see Peter. <laughs> He's like, Oh, you're Saul, huh? <laughs> Peter's not impressed. <laughs> He's not impressed at all. <laughs> and... Uh, Barnabas says, yeah, I know you've heard everything, but I just want to let you know I've been watching this guy from a distance. He didn't know I was watching him, but, you know, the Lord did something for this guy. And he starts to vouch for Paul. You know what you need? You know what you need to realize? 
You better get into the vein that God's got you plugged into because I believe this. God knew the personality of Paul. And God knew the personality of Barnabas. And God picked the perfect person to put Paul with so that Paul could get to the place where God wanted him to be. And you know the worst thing that you can do? Think that, oh, I can get everything. I got to buy me, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible is all I need. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Bon voyage. <laughs> See you in the crazy bin somewhere down the road. Start your own little religion or something. You'll get you something. The Lord showed me. I, yeah, I bet he did. Right? Everybody's got a thought. Everybody's got a, some new thing to say. But you know what God knew? I must fast forward a bit and then I'm going to get into the message. You ready? God knew that, that Paul had something that he gave him. And he knew that Paul had to stand up in front of a council in Acts chapter 15. But without the credibility of Barnabas, they would have never listened to a word that Paul had to say. You understand that? Say, I want to I be a blessing. I want to help the church. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay, the worst thing you can do, because we got, we got Christians of all walks of life in here. I Praise the Lord for this church. We got newly saved. We got people who have been saved for eons. We got middle-aged. We, got, we have a pretty good mix of folks around here. Right? You know what the worst thing you can do? is cut, and, and it's not just, just it's any church. Worst thing you can do is go in there and say, hey, I got some ideas. <laughs> uh, and who are you exactly? <laughs> Because you've been here for approximately 15 minutes, and I don't think I'm going to listen to you. Because you have no credibility. You've not accomplished anything. You've not completed anything. And it's not trying to cut you down and say that you're not of any value. That's not the case. It's just that we're not going to change structural things in the church or in the, in the ministry based on somebody's feelings because they have no experience. Does that make sense? And so what happens? Paul hooks up with Barnabas. Paul hooks up with Barnabas. And you know what it starts to do? It starts to give him some credibility. Barnabas puts his neck on the line for somebody. And it, it, the ball was in Paul's court. And he could decide to fall in line because, see, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that hard Right? Isn't that that just that irks the flesh, doesn't it? You mean I gotta fall in line? Yes, fall in line. What should you do? You should keep your mouth shut and do exactly what you're told to do, when you're told to do it. Go where he tells you to go, stand when he tells you to stand, sit when he tells you to sit, when he tells you to preach, preach. Do what you're told. Isn't that the absolute opposite of the culture today? I'm my own man. I can do what I want. You going to tell me what to do? Can I say this? If that's the attitude you have in Christianity, you will never get to where God wants you to go. Count yourself dead at the starting line if that's your attitude because it ain't going to work because God has a structure. And there's some people that need to invest in you. Listen, authority comes from God. And you know there's authority that goes down. And if you get outside of the chain of command and you get out of the authority that God set up, you're the one that's going to get messed up. Even if the authority you have... Listen, I, I've watched a guy call me up from a church one time and said, Listen, you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to a business meeting. And Brother Joe, we're going to vote the pastor out. 
And I'm like, oh, that's what you're going to do, huh? He says, yeah, that's what we're going to do. He's doing this, 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 and this. I'm like, well, that's probably pretty bad. You know? I wouldn't want to be in that church, you know? <laughs> but uh, but uh, so you think that the right course of action is to sit in a business meeting? And because you've got, he's like, we've got a bunch of people that are on our side. I'm like, oh, I've heard this. <laughs> I've seen this in a movie before. <laughs> we're going to vote the pastor out. I said, you ever think, I said, let me ask you this. How long has he been pastoring there? 12 years. I said, okay. Um, did God put him there? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, if he's doing wrong, can God take him out? Yeah. I said, so it looks like your options are this. You can either shut up and, keep, and stay in the pew and not cause trouble. You can go find another church to go to with somebody who's not all these things you say this guy is. Or... You can go start your own church. Right? Say, what was his problem? He didn't want to get in line. He didn't want a solution. He just wanted to rebel against the authority that was in front of him. You know what? That guy's out of church today. His wife's out of church, and his kids are out of church. Shocker, huh? Nope. Just couldn't get in line. Just couldn't get in line. Listen, I understand the fear of following the wrong guy. I get that. But you better realize that when God points you to the right person, you better follow him as God tells you to follow him. Because if you do that, I don't care what that guy is that you're following, God will take you out the right place. God will get you to where you need to be. You know what? In the book of Acts, you know what we find? Barnabas has a very unique ministry. Barnabas was great and influential when it came to the development and, and the ultimate success of what God was doing with the Apostle Paul. And as I read through this and I started looking at the life of Paul, I realized that, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of things to be desired in, the, in Paul's life, but you want to know something? There was only one Paul. And not everybody's going to be a Paul. Not everybody's going to be the guy that calls the shots and gets behind the pulpit and does all those things. And that's okay. Because everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs a Barnabas. You know what Barnabas was? I hesitate to even say that he invested in him. Because really, it's funny because if you look at the life of Paul at the beginning of the church, it's just funny how, how the church starts and how the church ends. Because when Paul gets saved, and he's, and he's kind of the catalyst of the New Testament church and obviously the doctrine of, uh, of the grace of God, the dispensation of the grace of God in the church age, he's our apostle. And when he gets saved, God says, you know, I'm going to show him all the things he's going to suffer for my sake. And all the things that Paul has to suffer. And as he defends his ministry in 2 Corinthians, you know all the perils he went through and all the trouble he went through and perils of the brethren and perils of this and perils of the sea and perils of mine own countrymen and perils and perils and troubles and troubles and troubles. You know what God did? God gave him the exact thing that he needed to get through so that God could take him where he started to where he wanted him to go. Go to Acts chapter number 4, if you will. Again, I'm almost done, believe it or not. Acts chapter number 4. Look in verse 36. And Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted 
the Son of Consolation. The Son of Consolation. You know what that thing means? Exhortation. He was an exhorter. Barnabas was the kind of guy that liked to encourage people. Barnabas was the guy that, hey, I see that you got it. Your countenance is falling. Hey, man, what's going on? Barnabas was the guy, listen, it just, it just suits Paul just perfectly, knowing that his ministry was going to be fraught with perils and trouble and discouragement and all the things that he faced, that God, that God buddied him up with somebody who had the reputation of being an exhorter, somebody who would edify him. He needed somebody in his corner saying, Paul, you can do it. Paul, keep your head up. You're doing right. Keep going. I know everybody's against you. I'm with you, man. We'll go together. We need that, folks. In the last days, the church ends in apostasy. And if you haven't realized it yet, you're going to get lonelier and lonelier as the days go on. And the perils will mount. And the pressure will continue. And you know what we need? We need some more Barnabases. I've been thinking about this. It's been tearing my stinking guts out, man. Because you want to know why? I can be as critical as they come, man. I'm good at it. I can find your flaws and pick them out and make fun of you till the cows come home. I can listen to preaching and pick it apart. And, th- and they should have done this. They could have done that. They I can be the most critical, mean person in the face of the planet. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to walk into a room and people go, oh, man. I want to be like a word fitly spoken. I want to be like a cool breeze on a hot day. I want to be the wind in somebody's sails. I may never be a a Paul. You may never be a Paul. We We all could be a Barnabas. Especially in these last days, because guess what? The perils and the toils and the troubles that even Paul experienced. Folks, those are the days and days in which, in which we live. And you know what we need? The church needs today? We need some encouragement. Because isn't it easy in today's world to get discouraged? Isn't it easy? Even coming out of revival, folks. You know what happens sometimes in revival? You get that, you get to preaching, and you, and you become very self-reflective, you know, and then you go back to work. And you're so self-reflected that you become self-loathing. You know what you need now? You need some encouragement, man. You need some encouragement. You need some wind in your sails. You need a Barnabas to come up beside you and say, Hey, man, I know you're going through it, brother, but I just want to let you know I'm here with you. I don't need your advice. I'll go to Paul for that. I don't need your instruction. I'll go to Paul for that. But if I need a shoulder, man, if I just need an encouraging word, man, I need Barnabas. <laughs> right? I need Barnabas. You say, how? The question of the night is this. How can I be more of an encourager? How can I be the wind in somebody's sails? What do we learn from Barnabas that will teach us how to encourage one another? Because, folks, we need encouragement. We need encouragement.
Look here with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 4, look in verse 7. It says, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was a need. And you don't want to know something? How do you encourage people? You can encourage people by giving. I'm going to let that one sink in because I'm going to have to do the, you know, I'm going to have to qualify in just a second. So you can, you can help people. You can encourage people by giving. And no, it's not just money. But let's just go ahead and write it for just a second. It could be. <laughs> it could be money. It could be seeing somebody down and out and they don't have the money to do something or they're in a pickle and stuff like that. And you know what? I believe Barnabas was the kind of guy that walked into a room and says, Lord, show me a need. Lord, show me, show me how I can be a blessing here. Instead of, what, instead of looking at everybody saying, what can I get from them? Lord, what can I do for them? You ever, you ever do that, go into a meeting or something like that, go into church and say, man, Lord, is there somebody that needs, needs something? I was in a meeting one time, I was praying that, and my brother came in and said, man, my tires get all blown out. You know, probably losing my reward in heaven for this, but I gave, the guy my, I gave a, one of his friends my credit card, and I said, go and put two new tires on that guy's car, and don't tell him I did it. I say, what is that? I just want to be a blessing. He, to this day, doesn't know I did that. You say, Lord, give you a little bit of money. You know what you should do? You know, especially in the world you live in today, because the stock market is crashing, and we're going to be in recession soon. We're going to have two quarters of decline. Then we're going to be stagflation. Right? And now you're a tightwad. Well, gas is four fifty. dollars I don't you know. I get it. I'm not telling you. If you ain't got it, don't give it. I'm not telling you that, okay? I'm not, I'm not here, you know. You know, let's have a, you know, a big, a big uh, offering and all this different stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, uh, could you, you know how you can be an encouragement to somebody? You can give. You can give. You know what you can do? You can see somebody. You ever, you ever just watch people and see when they're depressed or they're under, you know, you can tell that they're just not having a good day? How about giving them a little bit of your attention? How about giving them a little bit of your time? I know that you're in a hustle and bustle and the schedule and all this different stuff and the kids have got to be here and you got to do this and I got work in the morning. You know, sometimes that late night phone call is worth picking up. Sometimes hanging out late after church just because somebody needs to talk to somebody, guess what? It goes a long way. It goes a long way. You know how we can encourage one another? By having a spirit of giving. Those apostles in Jerusalem at the time, there was great need and... Can I just tell you this? God doesn't ever ask you to give something you don't have. You know what that verse says? He says he had a piece of land. He had it. It was in his hands. Look at the verse if you don't believe me. (laughs) You know what he did? He says, what's this piece of land? These folks need some help. And so he sold it. You know what he does? He lays it at the apostles' feet. What gave Barnabas his credibility that he could then go to Paul with and lend to him? The fact that he was ministering to the apostles way before Paul was ever saved. You want to know how he encouraged the apostles? And they, listen, he didn't give himself the name. The apostles gave him the name. The son of consolation. He says, man, he's, he's a giver. That guy's a giver. Give of his time. Give of his, give of his substance. You know something, I, 
one of the last things Brother Bobby did for me before he passed away, I was getting ready to sell my house. And, man, I was up against it. The inspection was coming because the first offer didn't go through, and the FHA loan had required us to do a bunch of different stuff. I had to change out a bunch of outlets. And if you know me, I don't mess with electrical stuff. I ain't him. Don't ever think I'm going to be like him. I was at myself. I tried to do electrical one time, and I welded my little things to the, 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 the box, and I was like, forget it. I'll pay for it or something. I don't know. I ain't messing with that stuff. He was at my house on a night that he had to go to work the next morning. He was at my house till 1 o'clock in the morning helping me switch out outlets. And when we got done, I said, brother, get home, man. Go home. He says, can I pray for you real quick, brother? He said, yeah. And with tears in his eyes, he said, Lord, I pray that you bless Brother Joe. And, and Lord, he's done a lot of work on this house. And I pray that you bless him and prosper him, Lord. I pray you'd help him. And uh, he prayed that and he left. You know what he went home to? A house he had torn apart and hadn't finished. He said, what do you do? Just always giving. You know what? It, man, he was encouraging. He was encouraging, man. <laughs> encouraging. You know how else you can be an encouragement? You can seek the promotion of others rather than the promotion of yourself. You know, it's funny how the Bible records certain things and gives us light on certain things. Look in Acts Acts chapter number 11, if you will. Acts chapter number 11. Barnabas is so well known to be a blessing and a minister that the church sends Barnabas to go and help out in Antioch. And while he's helping out in Antioch, Barnabas finds himself going all the way to Tarsus where Paul was to go seek after him because he saw worth in him. And then as you see, they start to kind of get close to one another. And look in verse 30, if you will. It says, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. And they were going and they were, and they were having a good time and God was using them. They're ministering. They're going preaching. He's in Antioch and they're preaching and, uh, they're, and, and, and they're edifying one another. And look in chapter 12, verse number 25. And it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. They had brought money down to Jerusalem because there was a dearth in the land as was prophesied by Agabus and it came to pass. And so they brought relief from the churches up there down to Jerusalem. And it was Barnabas and Saul all the way. Amen. And look with me in chapter number 13. In verse number 2, it says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and Holy Ghost separated unto me, Barnabas and Saul, right? Barnabas and Saul, two peas in a pod. Look in verse number 7, which was the deputy of the country of Sergius Paulus and uh, a pertinent man who called uh, for Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas first, Saul second. It was Barnabas and Saul all the way. And you know what the Bible tells you? That, that Barnabas was the one that was taking him to the apostles and edifying him and pushing him up and, 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 and building him up and building Saul up and saying things about Saul, encouraging Saul in his early ministry. And yeah, these folks, they don't, they're not responding to preaching or these people are responding to preaching and we, you know, we're doing all this different stuff. You know, just hang in there, Paul. Hang in there, man. Just keep going. And then all of a sudden, verse 8 happens, verse 9 happens. They come to, they come, uh, to uh, Paphos and they meet a sorcerer there and God gets on Saul. And look at verse 9. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And he starts preaching. That's, this is now it, we're in a transition. Look with me, if you will, verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, 
wait, I thought it was Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and his company. Where's Barnabas? Look in verse number 16. And then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and starts preaching. He, gets, he preaches a great sermon and then look in verse 43 of chapter 13. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed who? Paul and then Barnabas. Look in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas. Look in verse 50. Paul and Barnabas. Let me ask you something. Would you promote somebody and encourage somebody even if it meant that they started to outshine you? Could you still encourage somebody that God seems to be raising up past where you thought you should be? It's a hard one, isn't it? You know, sometimes we get, we get to the place where, you know, you can't even talk positive about somebody because you're such in competition with them. There is no competition between Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was happy that God was promoting Paul. Barnabas saw something in him and said, you know what, yeah, I, I'm doing my thing. And look at Paul's starting to get risen up. Paul's starting to get some more predominance. Paul is the one now that's the preacher. Paul's getting to be the one that's recognized, and he's the household name. And I'm just, it used to be me and then him, but now God's promoting Paul. And Barnabas is just as happy for Paul as you could be. He says, amen, brother. Man, I'm glad, I'm glad God's using you. I'm glad God's got his wind in your sails and God's picking your ministry up. I'm glad God's giving you opportunities to preach. I'm glad God's giving you souls. I'm glad that God's blessed you with more money. I'm glad that God's blessing your family. I'm... You happy when people get promoted and you don't? You still encourage them? Or you say something nice to their face and you come over here and say, yeah, well, if you knew about them, what I knew about them, you know. Well, you know, he, you know yeah, he's a pretty good preacher. You're sitting in a pew and the guy's like, man, what a preacher, man. You know, Barnabas is sitting there because he's kind of just uh, making sure that Paul has water. Right? And Paul's preaching. He's sitting there on the front pew and this guy's like, man, you ought to hear this guy preach. You ever heard of this guy? Because he doesn't know who Barnabas is. Barnabas is sitting there and he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know him. You know what we would do? Yeah, you know, if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't even be up there. <laughs> Yeah, I invested in him a long time ago. You know, he's just, uh, he's one of my preacher boys. <laughs> That's what we would do. Have to take credit for somebody else, God using somebody else. You got to take the credit for it. Amen. You can't let nobody else have the shine, can you? It's always got to be on you. You can't encourage anybody like that. Because you'll always have yourself in mind. You know what Barnabas was? He didn't care about his promotion. He was just happy that God was getting a job done with who he wanted to get the job done. And he saw, he saw a young man that came through hell and back. And you know what? He said, I'm glad God's using him. Because God did give him something. And I'm happy for him. Oh, to God, we would be like that with one another. Amen. Seek the promotion of others before your own promotion. That's how you encourage other people. And finally, I'll say this. You want to encourage other people, you know what you better have? You'd better have some patience, man. <laughs> you better have some patience. Acts chapter 15, an amazing thing happens. 
because of the ministry that God had put those men through and the bond that they had made, they get up in front of the council and they bring all the elders up. And because of the testimony of Barnabas, you say, how do you know that? Because as you just saw there, it was Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and then it was Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And then you know what happens? They get before the council, right? And all the elders, all the big wigs that everybody wants to say, oh, I want to be one of the big wigs. Okay, well, Paul's going to be one of the big wigs now. But how does he get there? Look with me, if you will, in verse number 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to who? Barnabas and then Paul. Who was, who was the audience at that point? The elders and the apostles. God used, again, Barnabas' credibility to bring Paul to where God wanted him to go. And then Paul started uh, preaching. And you know what happens after, uh, after Acts chapter 16 and 17 in there? You know what? God phases Peter out and Paul becomes a predominant one in the rest of the book of Acts because Paul's the guy God chose. But he used Barnabas to get God to where he used Barnabas was used for God to get Paul where he needed to go. But you know what happens? A great tragedy happens. Look in verse number 39, or verse 38. But Paul thought not good to take him with them. Verse 37. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from. Pamphylia and went not with them to the work and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God and they went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches you know what happened Barnabas and Paul they split why'd they split Because Paul was still pretty young. And Paul, he's, he was, man, he was just on fire, ready to go. Barnabas was a little, he was a little older than him. And Barnabas had a little bit more experience than him. And John Mark started out with them on their missionary journey. And you know what? He, he, he cut ship. He went back to Jerusalem. And that never sat well with Paul. And I can hear the conversation between Brother Paul and Brother Barnabas. He says, hey, man, we're about ready to kick us thing off. We've got, now we've got, the, we've, got the, uh, we've got all the letters from the elders. We've got all the letters from the apostles. Listen, we've got the whole church behind us now. We really have all the credibility that we need as we go into these missionary journeys. When we go there, we show them that we've got the approval of Peter and all these big wigs, and they're going to listen to what we've got to say, man. And I've got the revelation of God, and we're ready to go. We've got the course all mapped. And uh, Barnabas says, hey, man, I was talking to John Mark, and he's really sorry about all that, man. He, and you know what I told him? I said, hey, man, let's just get back in the saddle. Let's go. And Paul says, you said, you told him what? I told him, I told him that he could come with us. I told him that I understood that maybe he just was a little bit too, too immature at the time. But, you know, the Lord's really been working on him, man. And I've been watching him. And, man, he was really tore up about that, Paul. And I'm telling you, he, he, he's, he's worth it. He's worth bringing with us. Over my stinking dead body, you think, one, you think for one stinking second? Hey, listen, if somebody will stab you in the back once, he'll stab you in the back again. If he'll leave you once, he'll leave you again. I have the most important message that I've ever had in my life. You think I'm going to bring a deserter with me? You think I'm going to rely on this guy to be faithful in the ministry that God called me to do? You're nuts, Barnabas. You've lost your mind. I ain't bringing John Mark with us. Listen, Paul, I really think, you're, I really think you got to look past that. I re- listen, I've been talking with him. I, I know he's brokenhearted. And listen, he's really made some changes. Barnabas, 
I'm telling you, he's not coming with us. Well, Paul, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because now Barnabas is in a situation. Barnabas has been an encourager since day one. And John Mark messed up. And he's wanting to get back in. And so now Barnabas says, I have to choose. Because if he forsakes John Mark, you know what's going to cripple that man? He'll never get back in. He'll, he'll think he messed up and he'll never. Listen, I really messed up and I'll never be able to go back in there, man. Or he can pick Paul. He says, Paul, I'm really sorry you feel that way, brother. I wish it wasn't so, but I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lose John Mark. He says, are you serious? After all we've been through, this is what you're going to do. I'm sorry, brother. I think you've, you've got everything you need anyways. Brother, take Silas. He's a good brother. Go ahead and take him. You guys go out. Now, I'll, I'll stay here by the stuff, and I'll work with this guy here. How about that? Let's agree to disagree. And the contention was so sharp between the two of them that they split ways. You know what happens? Paul was writing his last letters in 2 Timothy, chapter number 4 and verse 11. You know, a couple of verses before that, it says, Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And I can see Paul as an old man now, and the ministries wore him slapped to death, and he's got gray hairs or no hair at this time, and he's crippled over and can't see, and he's just kind of feeble all over the place and just trying to do his best. And, man, the ministry has flourished. God has blessed him. I mean, Unreal. And in one of his last letters before he goes home to be with God, and it says he finished his course, he kept the faith and everything else, he's writing in 2 Timothy, and he says, uh, only Luke is with me. It's pretty lonely. And I just want you to know, bring John, bring John Mark, because he's profitable to me for the ministry. Amen, brother. <sighs> Amen. Let me tell you something, brethren. Lord's eating my lunch over this thing. There's some folks that may not be just like you. But in the world that you live in today, you better find some common ground with some folks. Because you want to know something? We're going to have to get through this thing together. And at the end of Paul's ministry, he realized it's a pretty lonely road to hoe. Kind of wish I would have maybe gave him a second shot. Kind of wish maybe I'd have been a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more gracious. And in his old age, he realized, you know what? Barnabas, you were right. You were right. And I think Barnabas is rocking in his chair. He's long past retirement at this point, and he's going, he finally got it, Lord. It took him a while. But he got it. Folks, we're so easy to cut ties with folks. We're so easy to be overcritical. Listen, if we're going to get through this thing, and I pray to God we do, <laughs> you know what we're going to need? We're going to need some more Barnabases, man. We need to quit being so critical. We need to be encouraging. You know what? I, I Again, like I said before, we, none of us in here may ever be a Paul. Maybe God will raise somebody up. I don't know. But you know what? When I walk into a room, I, I want to be a blessing to somebody. Let me ask you this. You ever been the one that needs the encouragement? 
You ever be the one where your head's down and you just can't take it anymore? Don't you want somebody to encourage you? Let me ask you this. Be honest with the Lord and yourself. When was the last time you went out of your way to encourage somebody else? Not talk bad about them. Not criticize them. Not be in competition with them. When was the last time you weren't thinking about yourself and looking to give to somebody else? Are you willing to give? I'm not talking about giving something you don't have. I'm talking what God puts in your hands. Will you give it? Will you try to encourage that way? Will you put yourself down so that somebody else can be raised up and let your flesh go by the wayside? Will you be patient with people that maybe they just don't get it yet and it's probably going to take them some time? Folks, that's what the church needs in the last days. We don't need more Pauls, although we're thankful for them. We need more Barnabases. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church. I want to thank you for this man and the example that he is to us. Father, I want to be more of an encouraging person. God, you know, Lord, my heart, I, I don't want to be the reason anybody gets discouraged. Lord, this world's discouraging enough. Father, I pray, God, that you'd help us to encourage one another. Encourage our children, encourage our wives, encourage our brethren, encourage our pastor. Father, just like David, sometimes we got to encourage ourselves. Father, help us tonight to learn from the Bible the things that you'd have us to learn. And I pray you'd bless your time now, bless your people. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.